Welcome to ACOM Insight, the new weekly podcast about higher education by the Association of Independent Colleges and Universities in Massachusetts. This week, Rob McCarran, Senior Vice President of ACOM, interviews Jeff Roy, State Representative and Chair of the Joint Committee on Higher Education. Now to begin, here's Rob McCarran. Hi everyone, I'm Rob McCarran, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at ACOM. Thank you for tuning in to our second episode of ACOM Insight. This is our new podcast that highlights the people, policies, and programs associated with higher education in Massachusetts. This week, uh, I'm lucky enough to be speaking with Representative Jeff Roy, House Chair of the Joint Committee on Higher Education. Representative Roy was first elected in 2012 to serve the residents of Franklin and Medway, and he was appointed Chair of the Higher Education Committee in 2019. Uh, Chairman Roy is also an attorney in Massachusetts and operates the law firm Roy Law in Franklin, and he is a proud graduate of Bates College and Boston College Law School. Mr. Chairman, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the second episode of ACOM Insight. Well, Rob, it's, uh, it's great to be here and uh, happy to uh, talk to you on uh, a great rainy day in the middle of COVID-19. It really is uh, a beautiful day out there, and it, it does, uh, the, the weather fits the uh, uh, the mood, I guess, for the rest of the the area and the country, and um, and and at, before we start, I will say again, you uh, because we each had tea and honey before this started. Uh, we know uh, it's going to sound a lot better than uh, than it looks. Um, so and you did mention, uh, you know, COVID nineteen, and we're now several weeks into. It seems like a lot more than several, but several weeks into the the home advisory, stay at home advisory. Uh, in the middle of what looks like to be the surge. Uh, How are things going for you and your constituents in Franklin and Medway? Well, all things considered, I would say uh, things are going well. Uh, People have adjusted. Uh, I think uh, we're referring to this as day 42, and uh, they've adjusted to uh, this new normal. And, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of anxiety. I know people want to get out of the house. They want to get on with their activities. But, uh, you know, uh, to keep safe and to prevent other people from uh, getting uh, sick themselves, uh, they're doing the right thing by staying home and uh, practicing good social distancing. No, you're right. It is. The new normal This is, is, uh, is, is strange. And, and maybe, you know, as I look out the window, I see driving rain and wind. And uh, so maybe this will uh, be a little more encouragement for folks to stay in and, and do as you say, keep others safe. and. And hopefully uh, the days were, that we won't be counting the days uh, that much longer. But, um, but you know, a, a, as we think about the higher education issues in Massachusetts, and, and I'm, I was thinking, um, you know, this week and this, uh, this time of year, if we were uh, fortunate enough to still be in a, a pre-COVID-19 world, we would most likely be having this conversation at your office in the state house and talking state budget. Um, you know, this is typically the start of budget season for the House, and we'd be talking funding for student financial aid programs and other higher ed issues. Uh, so given that we are, are in a, a, a COVID-19 world, uh, can you talk a little bit about how the House has pivoted to respond to COVID-19 and, and, and what, you, what it looks like going forward as far as um, the state budget process? Well, you know, you, you bring up the budget, uh, certainly... Uh, We were all uh, in the midst of uh, having our meetings with the uh, Ways and Means uh, chairman 
to talk about our issues and our priorities. And I can tell you at the top of my list was uh, trying to increase funding for higher education. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden uh, the world is uh, turned upside down. Uh, we were supposed to have all of our uh, budget amendments in by last Friday. And uh, we were to have uh, this week to review the budget documents that were going to be prepared. And we were all set to debate. Uh, beginning on uh, Monday, April 28th, but uh, all of that has changed and uh, discussions of of what's going to be in the budget and uh, when we're going to do it uh, are still up in the air. We're uh, looking to uh, come up with a process in a way that we can uh, debate and vote on a budget and uh, we're waiting to hear from a uh, working group that the speaker has put together on that topic and uh, you know, we have to uh, consider that uh, typical budget has over a thousand amendments and, uh, you know, has many light items that we have to consider and debate about. How we're actually going to do that uh, is uh, still up in the air. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think about. I mean, I from my time that I spent uh, a long time ago now working at the Ways and Means Committee, and, and this was the week we would analyze you know, sometimes uh, 1,500 budget amendments, uh, all seeking to, you know, get funding for um, those, those uh, programs and projects that are so important to uh, each individual member. And, and the thought of trying to do that process while dealing with, you know, COVID-19 and the limitations uh, it has imposed on everyone, it's pretty amazing to think about. Uh, and yet, um, the work of, of the legislature goes forward. I mean, you've been able to continue passing legislation and, you um, and even today, I saw some movement on bills, and, and so it's it's impressive that they've been able to do that and, and, to, and to continue doing it, and uh, hopefully that will be the case with um, with the state budget and, and you know, trying to re recreate that budget given the, you know, unpre unprecedented impact that COVID-19 is having on state revenue and everything else. Yeah, that's the remarkable piece is the fact that uh, even in the, uh, in the state that we're in, and the fact that we can't get together uh, as a deliberative body, we have been able to pass uh, substantial pieces of legislation. Uh, the difference between uh, now and what we uh, used to do is that uh, we everything has to be with unanimous consent because just one member of either the House or the Senate uh, can stand up when a bill is on the floor and object, and that will bring that, uh, that bill to an end. And, uh, you know, achieving unanimous consent under these circumstances is, is quite difficult, but it's actually happening. And, uh, you know, we've passed uh, bills to uh, ease uh, uninsurance, I mean, un unemployment uh, claims, the time schedules. We've passed uh, bills to get uh, additional aid to our, our communities. We've passed municipal relief legislation, uh, a number of initiatives to um, thwart evictions and foreclosures during this time, uh, liability protections for frontline workers. Uh, and, you know, we have issues such as how are we going to vote in the upcoming elections in September and November? And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I know that's uh, of, of great interest to the higher education community is a, is a bill that, uh, that I have filed uh, for providing for uh, immunity for higher education institutions and and uh, secondary schools that have been stepping up to the plate and uh, 
providing uh, equipment, personal protective equipment and facilities to help uh, alleviate uh, issues in this crisis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty amazing watching uh, all that the colleges and universities have done, uh, both public and private colleges and universities, um, you know, what they've done to respond to COVID-19 and, and, and colleges and universities were some of the first to take significant steps to respond. You know, they de-densified their campuses, uh, they sent students home, asked faculty and staff to work remote. They, you know, pivoted really quickly and, and, and really great innovation to turn uh, in, in classroom learning into an online uh, learning for all classes. Uh, and, and that that was true for a lot of schools that had, did not really have online presence uh, prior to the need to do this. Um, they were truly and, ahead of the curve on this, I have to say. I remember uh, seeing the first announcements about uh, schools advising uh, students not to return after spring break. And uh, I was thinking to myself, you've, you've got to be kidding me. What's going on? This, this, is an, this is an overreaction. And I have to say, looking back, thank God they did what they did because they really uh, saw this uh, as a problem uh, and reacted uh, very quickly. And, uh, you know, I say kudos to everybody involved uh, in this industry. And, you know, and another piece of it that uh, we saw through this process is just how important these higher education institutions are to the uh, communities they, they sit in and uh, how, they, how important they are to the Commonwealth as a whole. It's easy to overlook, and 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 it's it's hard to. It, I'm I'm I work in higher ed, and you and you you do as well. And I'm continuously amazed at how ingrained colleges and universities are in so many aspects of our lives. It's it's you know I'm fortunate enough to live um, in a town where there's two colleges. We have we have Babson and Wellesley College, um, and you know that the students are there. You feel the impact. You see them around town. You see. The businesses see them in, in at the restaurants and, and at the bars and in the bookstore. And it just. Well, we don't see any of our college students in the bars. They're all true. under 21. <laughs> at least at least the properly identified ones. <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's but it is the, these institutions are so ingrained in so many ways, whether it's it is the presence of the students, it's the. The, the people you know who work on campus, it's, um, you know, educating the next workforce, it's spending, it's cultural events, it's, it's so many different things. And, and sometimes you don't appreciate it until it's gone, even if it's gone only for a temporary period of time. Um, so I've seen it around, around my town. I've, I've seen how it affects, uh, how it affects Wellesley and how the, the whole pace and, and, and vibrancy of our community has changed in, in response to, uh, to this and not having the students around. And, and I know it's something you know well, because you're lucky enough to also have a, a college in your district. You have Dean College. Yeah, and uh, Dean College is one of the, if not the, one of the largest employers in the uh, town of Franklin. Uh, the kids from that campus uh, certainly uh, eat in the restaurants, shop in the stores. The parents stay in the hotels uh, when they come to visit. Uh, it's just uh, amazing to consider the fallout from the absence of uh, these folks uh, in our community. And uh, I can say, I can't wait to have them all back. Yeah, I, I completely share that sentiment and, and hopefully uh, much sooner rather than later because it is, um, it is so important for so many uh, cities and towns throughout the Commonwealth. And, and as you mentioned, frequently it is 
the local college university that is, that is the biggest employer and, and does have the relationships with, with local merchants and it, is, and it drives that local economy and it is so important and to have it not be there and have not have the students there is just, it's, it's, been, um, it's been traumatic not only for the campuses, but for all the communities around it. And, sure. And so, they offer, you know, cultural opportunities. You know, I see many speakers that I want to see uh, at the college campus, uh, plays, that uh, they put on and musical productions, uh, you know, those things uh, are sorely missed. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. Um, and one, one thing that um, you had mentioned a moment ago when we were talking about how the schools have responded is, is the efforts that, uh, that schools have, have undertaken to be an important partner in responding to the, um, to the emergency needs of the state. And last week on the uh, first episode of Acom Insight, our, our uh, Acom's president, Rich Doherty, uh, spoke with Tufts University president, Tony Monaco, about the fact that um, Tufts took steps to develop partnerships with uh, their local uh, cities and towns, uh, Somerville and Medford, uh, working with first responders and healthcare providers to provide those critical resources. And, and that has been, um, those efforts have been uh, repeated in, in different uh, institutions throughout the, throughout the state, uh, where you see dorms filled with healthcare providers, with first responders who who may have been exposed uh, to the virus and don't want to go home to their families to risk exposing their families to it. Or uh, we have homeless and other vulnerable populations in the dorms. And, and there's been a, a whole range of activities that have taken place and are continuing to take place. And, and you have filed legislation that would provide some, some protections to those, um, those efforts uh, and, and, and provide that environment where those efforts can continue without concern about being sued somewhere down the road because of those actions. Could you talk a little bit about, about that legislation? Sure. I, you know, um, as, as you had uh, indicated, a lot of our institutions, they've been called on to donate, supply, and manufacture uh, personal protective equipment and, and other emergency aid and, uh, you know, provide their facilities, as you said. And I think these types of charitable efforts uh, during a pandemic uh, deserving of uh, protection. Uh, this is not a novel idea. In fact, uh, under federal law, uh, there is a, a Public Readiness and Emergency uh, Preparedness Act. It's the PREP Act uh, yeah. that uh, covers manufacturers, uh, manufacturers of equipment. Uh, they get targeted liability protections during a pandemic if they have provided some emergency response uh, you know, products in response to a pandemic. So, uh, unfortunately, that PREP Act does not apply to colleges and universities uh, and uh, you know, public or private secondary schools uh, that might be producing this equipment. So, uh, we uh, prepared a, a piece of legislation uh, that would bridge this gap and offer similar immunity protection uh, to college universities under Massachusetts law. And, you know, it only applies to uh, emergency aid that is offered or provided uh, by the institutions uh, at or below their cost. And it's in response to the uh, outbreak of the uh, 2019 novel coronavirus. And uh, this yeah. would uh, encourage them to continue uh, providing these goods or services uh, continue to uh, act 
in good faith, and it would uh, there would be an exception if there was uh, intentional, willful, wanton, or reckless misconduct. Uh, but overall, it's to give uh, folks in this community uh, the the ability to step up without fear of uh, getting involved in some sort of a, a liability situation. And uh, I've heard of so many um, heartfelt stories of, uh, you know, institutions uh, offering their expertise on the design of a particular piece of equipment or using their 3D printers to uh, produce personal protective equipment. They're deserving of, uh, of protection because they're responding to an emergency. No, I, I completely agree, and I can tell you just from the conversations I've had with folks on, on different campuses that are um, there's a great appreciation for the for your legislation and for and, and for jumping in and, and for being proactive and for, for recognizing that they're real th these institutions and the folks at them are stepping up um, in really meaningful ways to to tap into the expertise and the innovation that we're lucky enough to have in Massachusetts. We have this unique ecosystem of, of higher education. Um, that, that um, you know, we're thankful that it's here. I mean, we have, um, I think we're one of the, the one state in, in you know, I think the Eastern part of the United States where there's a bio four um, lab that is doing active testing right now on the coronavirus. And, and I really do think ultimately the, the solution to this, this crisis is gonna come through the research and, and innovation that's um, taking place on, on the campuses here in Massachusetts. And, but until that time where we, where the researchers are able to get to the vaccine and the cure, seeing the way that uh, colleges have stepped up, and as you said, using 3D printers to make masks and think of other ways to, to, to get their equipment, machines, technology, innovation into this, uh, into this fight, um, and, and, and for your legislation to provide that level of security to think, let's just, let's just figure out how we can help and not worry about um, what someone may try to do to sue us, you know, six months from now is um, uh, is greatly appreciated. And so, um, yeah. well, it, it's encouraging to see how folks have have stepped up to the plate. Uh, I'll give you a, a concrete example uh, from out my way. Uh, we had our uh, our hospital was desperate uh, in the search for ponchos that uh, uh, nurses and doctors could wear when. Uh, going up with uh, seeing patients and they ran out of ponchos on uh, gowns. So they uh, reached out and said, do you know of any of the uh, college campuses that might be able to provide us some of the rain ponchos that they use uh, during commencement exercises? And I, I reached out to a, a couple of campuses and uh, they quickly produced uh, several thousand uh, ponchos that we brought to the facility. And, and I'd hate to think that a good faith gesture by that university could translate into some litigation somewhere down the road uh, when somebody took issue with the use of a, a, a poncho that may not be uh, the best uh, in a medical setting. And, uh, but that institution, that uh, their college or university that stepped up to the plate to meet a need shouldn't be exposed to any type of uh, liability in a situation like that.
No, and it's uh, I completely agree, and, and uh, like I said, it's it's uh, your efforts are greatly appreciated by the, the ACO members that are that are doing that in so many ways, um, that are stepping up, and, and the fact that you come at it from not only the chair of the higher ed committee but also uh, a lawyer and litigator, I think um, brings a lot of expertise to that issue, and so uh, we are very appreciative. Um, and then uh, I think one last uh, thing I wanted to raise is is uh, um, primarily as a thank you, but it it, uh, it kind of goes back to our where we started, which was if this was a pre-COVID-19 conversation, um, and that's to thank you for your leadership in guiding um, the process that resulted in legislation and regulate, regulation around uh, the financial oversight of colleges and universities. I know when we spent a great deal of time over the last over the last year, almost a, a a full year working on it, um, and you had joked a couple times uh, during that process that you know you went you went from being the vice chair of the healthcare financing committee, which is incredibly complex, thinking about healthcare financing and all the issues that go into healthcare in Massachusetts, and you thought, well, higher ed's not going to be that uh, <laughs> going to be like that committee, and and yet uh, you then had to deal with uh, financial oversight legislation, and I think it was. You know, from our perspective, it was your willingness to to meet with and listen to CFOs and other campus leaders, you know, to, so, to fully consider the range of alternatives that, that could be considered um, or, or, or used to address this important issue. And I think the end process speaks to that that leadership and fairness. And so I wanted to thank you for that and then realize that um, as we as we look forward in the higher ed world, um, you know, thinking about how um, everything, all the unprecedented uh, conditions that have been imposed on campuses uh, across the Commonwealth by COVID-19, how that's going to uh, play out um, going forward. Well, I think we, uh, we all recognize that higher education uh, is one of the most important uh, uh, areas in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, an economic driver. It's, uh, it's what makes Massachusetts stand out as uh, number one in the nation, we have the uh, most highly educated population in the entire United States of America. And that's a tribute to our higher education institutions in doing anything that we can to make sure that they're on solid financial footing uh, was something that was vitally important. And I certainly appreciate all the help and, and feedback and guidance that, uh, that I got from the folks in the higher ed industry. I think we ended up with a product that we can all be proud of. Uh, I, I, I agree. And, and I thank you for that. For, like I said, that leadership and guidance to get to get us to what we everyone agreed was a, um, a, a good and fair result. Um, and it will be nice to um, to get beyond COVID-19 and to let uh, help these schools get back to that equilibrium. And so they continue to be that, you know, economic education and cultural engine for so many um, so many cities and towns um, including including Franklin well uh, I want to thank you mr. chairman uh, I have really enjoyed doing this this was uh, the first one I've done and, and as, as we mentioned only our second uh, Acom insight and so uh, I want to thank you for um, for joining us having this conversation and uh, I really wish you and, and your colleagues in the legislature um, Nothing but the best wishes as you keep continue to um, navigate, which is what is just an incredibly difficult time. 
Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I want to say on behalf of myself and uh, my uh, Senate co-chair, uh, Senator Ann Gobi, who's been an absolute delight to work with, uh, it's been a joy in the SkyRed space, and I look forward to uh, many more years working with you uh, to make and keep Massachusetts at the top of the heap in higher ed. Well, thank you. That's uh, couldn't be a better way to end. And, and you're right. Uh, the, um, what, what the higher ed committee has accomplished under you and, and Senator Gobi, uh, with still some time left in the legislative session, is, is uh, pretty impressive. So we, um, uh, we want to say thank you. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Acom Insight. We will be back with a new episode next week. Be sure to listen and share.